Daniel chapter 11 and put your finger in Daniel chapter 11 and turn over to 1 Peter 1. That's going to be page 1136. <clears throat> it's going to be much higher in yours because... Uh, 1 and verse 10. Chapter 1? Yeah, First Peter 1 and verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Daniel's received a vision an interpretation of visions from angels. Angels, it says, Peter says, long to look into that, long to understand. But he also is, is saying that the Old Testament prophets didn't always clearly understand the prophecies or when they would be realized, when they would come about. And, but they weren't serving themselves they were serving those who came after them, such as Peter's first century recipients of that letter, but also 21st century saints who are now reading those Old Testament prophecies. Some are a near fulfillment and some are a far fulfillment. The ones that we are probably going to make it through tonight are going to be past for us. Remember, they're all future for Daniel, but they're going to be in the past for us. We'll get into the future section, but I don't think that's going to be tonight. So let's... It's going to be Easter. <clears throat> Thank you, Gene. <clears throat> let's, let's just go back um, and start reading in chapter 10, verse 20, and then we'll read through verse 4. And, and kind of see what he's beginning the, 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 this, this vision with. Then he said, this is the angel speaking to Daniel. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except against these, except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall rise, arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he had become strong through his riches, he shall stir up against he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. 
Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as, he's, and as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to other, others beside these. So Daniel had been mourning those three weeks there in, in, in Babylon and fasting and praying. And God heard his prayer immediately and sent an angel to give him uh, insight, understanding, to strengthen him. Daniel, I, I think, was probably uh, a, a little bit on the, um, the, the downside of... Okay, God has said He's going to send Israel back to Jerusalem. And when they had gotten there, they had faced opposition in, in building, rebuilding the temple. The, the people um, might not have even had the, the, the desire to, to, uh, to fight this opposition or stand up to this opposition. And he was... He, he was, he was mourning for that, dejected because of that. And, and God sent this angel to, to strengthen him. We saw that he strengthened him three times just uh, in, the, in chapter 10, just the, the physical nature, but also to, to strengthen him, I think, in a, in a spiritual way as well. And he says, here's what's written in the book of truth. That may be one of our, our first applications is that God has a plan. No matter how we look around us and say, how in the world can this happen? But that, that it's, it's within God's sovereign control and, and, and His plan. This angel is telling Daniel. First thing he says is that three more kings are going to arise in Persia, and then a fourth king shall, shall be far richer than all of them. And he'll be strong, he'll be rich, and he's going to stir up the whole kingdom against the kingdom of Greece. Now you have maps in your, in, in, in your Bible and, and on your phone, but if, if you picture that, that Mediterranean sea with, with Israel being on the right and then, then stretching a, across to the, to the east, you have to the north and east, you have Syria and then Babylon and then Persia, and, and it goes uh, you know, on. To, to India and beyond. And then to the north, you have Syria, Asia Minor, which is Turkey. And to the northwest, you have, you have Greece. They're on the Mediterranean Sea, but removed enough in, in antiquities that, that they didn't always interact with those down, even though they had trade. They didn't always interact. But, and, and, and the the Babylonians and the Persians had conquered much of this land to the, to the east, but not so much up into Greece. Now this fourth king is going to, um, to take it to Greece. Who were these? Who was the king at the time of, of Daniel 10, 11, 12? Remember back in... Chapter 10, verse 1, the third year of Cyrus. 
Cyrus the Great, the the, the, the first great king of, of Persia who conquered Babylon was king. This is the third year. It's around 536 B.C. After he dies, there's going to be more than three kings, more than four kings, but, but the angel is telling Daniel mainly the three or the four dominant kings that come after, after Cyrus, the first one being um, Chambyses and then Smyrdas, and then Darius one, not to be confused with Darius the Mede there in, in, in verse 11, or back in chapter five, Darius the Mede. And then the fourth king is Xerxes. We'll meet him later in, in the book of Esther. He's the king uh, during the time of Esther. But these kings um, all continued in the, uh, just in the tradition of the day of, trying to maintain their kingdom, but conquering other kingdoms. And, and the third king, Darius, he, he wanted to expand his territory, and he attacked Greece. You've heard of this battle, one of the big battles that Darius fought with, with, with Greece, because we have a foot race that is named after this battle. It's the Battle of Marathon. In about 490 BC, that that Darius the first and his army go up and and attack Greece. Persia is the the big kid on the block. They think they're just going to walk all over um, this this collection of city states, Athens and Sparta, and and they go up and fight and they get beat. When the when the Greeks beat Persia. They send a runner from Marathon to Athens, and it's about 25 or 26 miles. And he runs the whole way to, to announce that we won. We defeated the Persians. And Is it so, true that he died after he got there? I don't know. I, I didn't see that when I read, but I know he at least felt like dying <laughs> after he got there, whether he literally did or not. So Darius goes back to Persia kind of with his, his tail tucked between his legs. But Herodias, a, a Greek historian, records that Darius remembered the Athenians, the, the Greeks. And he had one of his servants whisper in his ear. He said three times every day, at least three times every day, this servant was to whisper in his ear before supper time. Remember the Athenians, remember the Athenians, remember the Athenians. So he, not that he was going to forget because he had been humiliated in this defeat. So Darius prepared to go back and try it again. I'm going to go fight him again. In about 486 B.C., a, a revolt happened in, in Egypt that part of the, 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 the Persian Empire extended into Egypt. Darius is preparing to go down there and put down that revolution, that revolt, and he dies. So then the fourth king, after Cyrus the Great, rises up, Darius' son, Xerxes, and, and, and he goes down, puts down that revolt in, um, in Egypt, and then he prepares to 
to go and fight Greece again in 480 BC. And he, 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 he sends ships to attack them. He takes this army that, that Her, um, Herodotus says was a million man army against this collection of, they're basically city-states. We're 480 BC. You've got Athens and Sparta and other city-states that, that sort of form this loose coalition of, of, of Greek and, and even some Macedonian cities. And they, they go to fight them and they come to this pass called uh, Thermopylae. That's a narrow pass that the army has to go through. You've got this million-man army coming, ready to, to attack Athens and, 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 and Greece. And you have this battle. It's, it's known as the 300. That 300 Spartans, there were more. There were, there were others that, that helped them, 700 of, a, of another city. But, but the 300 are, are well known that they held off the Greek, the Persians in that pass 300, it was really about 1,200, but the movie was 300. <laughs> and they, they held them off for a week to give the other city-states to organize and come down, and they defeated the Persians again, and, and, they, and they go back. So that was about 480 um, B.C. <clears throat> At the end of verse 2, <clears throat> Verse 3, it says, A mighty king shall arise, one who shall rule with great dominion. He, he jumps to around 336 B.C., about 150 years um, later, to a guy named Alexander the Great. And he says his, his kingdom is, is great. He, has, he does as he wills, but as soon as he has has arisen, his kingdom is broken and divided. That Alexander the Great began his conquest of the world in, in, in around 336 B.C. And they say that he conquered the world in, in five years. That he made it all the way to the Indus River. His troops said, we don't want to go any farther. This is far enough. And that he cried because there were no more lands to, to, to conquer and that he had, he had made it that far. And he went back and he settled in, in Babylon, but he died soon after. He died in 323 B.C. Um, as, as a young man, about 33 years old. Verse, verse 4 says, His kingdom was going to be divided, but not to his posterity, not, in, not according to the, to the authority with which he ruled. So that it wasn't given, his kingdom wasn't given to one man, wasn't given to his two sons, Hercules or Alexander, but it's divided to the four winds. Four of Alexander's um, generals took over uh, the, the kingdom, that it was divided up. You had Cassander who, who, who controlled uh, Macedonia and Greece, Lysimachus who, 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 um, who ruled uh, Trace, and Asia Minor, Trace being the, the far western, southwestern part of, of Europe. It would be Bulgaria today uh, and, and then Turkey. And then you have the two primary kings or characters for the next uh, 15 verses, the Seleucids, uh, Seleucius, Seleucus, 
who controls uh, the rest of Asia Minor, Syria, Babylon, and Persia, and then the Ptolemies who control Egypt, the lower part of Syria, and Israel. Those are the four kings that, that rule in place of, of, um, of Alexander the Great. So we've jumped from 536 B.C. with King Cyrus being the king in Persia. The angel told Daniel, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be three more kings and then a fourth one. And then, then, then this mighty king in Greece is going to, to arise. He's, he, as soon as he has, his kingdom's going to be broken and divided. So we go from, in four verses, we go from 536 B.C., to 323 B.C. That, that the angel is telling Daniel all of, all of this. Why? Why would, the, why would that be important for Daniel to know? There is no wrong answer. I don't, I mean... So that the people in that time, Daniel's not going to be there probably when Darius becomes king. He's, not, he's certainly not going to be there 200 years later when Alexander the Great is, is king. But God's people are still going to be on the earth. There's, and they're going to be in Israel. And they're going to be facing these obstacles, these, these tribulations. When they left Egypt and went into the promised land, God said, if you obey me and you do what you will, I will, I will go before you and I will run out the, the, the enemy. They weren't faithful in doing that. They did it to some degree, but they didn't do it 100%. And then after they did occupy the land and we, we saw as they went through the the period of the judges when it said every man did what was right in his own eyes to the, the time of Samuel and, and the first king Saul and then David and then Solomon and the kingdom was split and then all of the northern kings were evil and, 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 and followed after other gods. You know, the ratio in the south was better, but it was still not even half that there were good kings in, in Judah, the south, and that God did what he told Israel, that he punished them and took them into Israel, in, into exile. So now when they go back, were they expecting a cakewalk? Were they expecting this easy time of, of no tribulation, no obstacles? Maybe so, thinking this is going to be just like the Exodus. God says, no, it, you're going to rebuild the city, but it's going to be in a troubled time because God's plan is even greater and longer than just Israel occupying the land that he, he tells them the saints of the Most High, he told, he told Daniel this in one of the previous visions, will inherit the kingdom and it will be an everlasting kingdom, but it's not a kingdom there in, in Jerusalem. So, so, so the angel begins telling Daniel what is going to happen. Verse 5 through, through 20 is it's 15 verses. I think I read there were something like 17 kings mentioned in that, in that time period. 
that, that we begin with verse 5, then the king of the south. The south is Egypt. It's, it's the Ptolemaic uh, empire that controlled Egypt and also Israel, even into the lower part of, of Syria. Well, let's read some of it. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his kingdom shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he in his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. So, so, so you're introduced to the two kingdoms, the king of the south, the, the Ptolemies, and the king of the north, the, the Seleucid Empire. That, and that's who is going to be um, d discussed, who the angel is going to tell Daniel about these, these next 15 verses, but then he's going to concentrate on one of the kings of the north for, for a little while after that. What is in between Syria that the Seleucids controlled and Egypt? It's, it's, it's Israel. That little narrow land bridge between Egypt and, and the, the Middle East, that Israel's right in the middle. You can just, it's, it's not a hard guess. The king of the north, he wants to extend down here, extend his border as a buffer. The king of the south wants to do the same thing. And so Israel is caught right in the middle of this conflict between these, these two nations. Now, I'll read the verse 7 through 20. And we're not going to talk about each and every one of these kings because my brain cannot grasp all of them. But just listen to the things that are going on in, in a general sense and, and look for, you know, just... Tell me what's happening. Verse 7, and from, a branch, and from a branch, from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold, and for years he shall re refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then... The latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His son shall wage war and assemble a great, a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south shall then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude <coughs> is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a, a multitude greater than the first. And after sev some years, he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those days, many shall rise against the king of the south and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. 
Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or, to be, or, or be to his advantage. After her, afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastal lands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an, ex an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall rise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Did you get all of that? Yeah. <laughs> Clears mud, right? <laughs> I'm still stuck on that million man army. And, and they say that he had, this is Her Herodotus, an ancient historian who did that. Of course, modern scholars are going to scoff at any of that and say, oh, well, it was only a couple hundred thousand. But that, that, that he had that many. He controlled this whole you know, bit of, you know, from, from Babylon to Persia going toward India and, and subjected these people. And I, I don't think it would be hard to say he amassed that many and I went. I can't even imagine the, the logistics. How of get getting them there. Many? And that they had another, they said, one, one thing I read said that they had two million in all, a million support personnel, and then a million man army that those who were who were fighting so after Alexander the Great died his kingdom is divided into to, to four parts you've you've got Cassandra in, in the north there at Greece Lysimachus there kind of in the north east the two kings that are of most interest pertaining to remember this is this is what the angel said was going to happen to Daniel's people. So the two kings that that involve Israel are the are the are Seleucius, the Seleucid dynasty in the in the north, Syria, Babylon, even into Persia, and the Ptolemies down in, in Egypt. And he he goes through, it's a bunch of kings. If you want to know their names, Jean has it in her ESV study Bible. And I told everybody in class this morning, if you're ever in a contest and they say, okay, who wants to name all of the kings of the south? And who wants to name all of the kings of the north? Pick the south. Pick the south because they're all named Ptolemy. 
<laughs> and it goes one through about Fort, well, it's going way beyond our time frame. We're looking at about Ptolemy 7. You know, so it's like, okay, I can remember that. I may not can spell it, and I may not pronounce it the same way two times in a row, but the Ptolemies rule the south. In the north, you have the Seleucid dynasty because the first king is Seleucius, Seleucus, Seleucius. But he, they don't name their kids the same name. Now, they only pick two. They're not that creative. But Seleucius I, his son who took over was Antiochus I. And then Antiochus I, his son was Antiochus II. But Antiochus II said, well, I'm going to name my son after my granddaddy. And so he went to Seleucus II. And, and, and they just go through with Seleucus, Antiochus, Seleucus, Antiochus, 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 then back to Seleucus. But what do you see happening in, in these verses? Maybe not saying, okay, this is Seleucus II who did this, but but. Through these 15, 16 verses, you just see this constant conflict. That, that earlier Daniel's vision had, God had told him, your people are going to go back. The temple is going to be rebuilt. The city is going to be rebuilt. But it's going to be in a time of turmoil, a time of trouble. And these two empires are fighting against each other. And Israel is right in the middle. They, they want that land. You see just the, the soap opera nature of it. There are political marriages. The king of the north, south sends his daughter to marry the king of the north, thinking that she's going to you know, then woo him and turn him into an agreement. And she's like, I like him better than you, daddy. And so she turns against her own father. And, and, and then the king of the north sends one to the south. You have them going and robbing each other's temples, taking their, their, their metal images, their gods, going back and forth, peace treaties and broken peace treaties, just, just conflict after conflict after conflict going on in, in, in the nation. Before then. Destroyed, destroyed the so has it changed any since then? Get the newspaper, the internet, the whatever, and it's like we have just conflict after conflict after conflict going on. Where is the good news in that? We haven't gotten there in chapter 12, but we've seen it before that, that when in, in Daniel's visions or Nebuchadnezzar's vision, going back, I think it's chapter 2, 
he saw this stone that was uncut by human hands that crushed all of those empires, those nations. And, and so the good news is that, yeah, we're living in this world of turmoil, but it's not forever and ever and ever. It might be past our lifetimes, but that, that ultimately God's kingdom will be established. It, it's almost a restoration of the kingdom that was in Eden that man blew, that man disobeyed and, and then was, um, was kicked out of that and that, that eventually will have that kingdom. And he told Daniel, I have it in my notes, but I'm not looking at it earlier, that the saints of the Most High shall inherit the kingdom. And that kingdom is going to be a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. All of these are short. We go basically in, from, you know, he's starting in 536 B.C., and he goes through the Thor kings in, in Persia that gets us to about 485. And then we jump to 336 B.C. to 323 B.C. So we go from 323 B.C. at the beginning there of chapter 5, or verse 5, to about 165, 170 B.C. So I should have picked easier numbers to do quick math but about 160 years that over, you know, these things keep happening. And, and the, the, the next little section is, is really only going to cover four or five years um, of this verse 21. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. That's... In those days, the ultimate bad guy, Antiochus IV, also known as... He gave himself a nickname. I don't think you should be able to give yourself a nickname, but he did. The nickname he chose for himself was Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, what is an epiphany? But it's like a, a manifestation of something. In the church calendar, which Baptists don't really follow, we follow part of the church calendar. Christmas and Easter, sometimes we really venture out and we do Lent, or at least mention Lent, you know, Ash Wednesday. But after Christmas, the next big date, and it's in January, it's Epiphany. And it's, it's the manifestation of, of the Messiah to the world. What he, and this is not exact, but it's, it's to, commit, to remember the coming of the Magi to visit Jesus, that Jesus was born in, in Israel, the shepherds, the angels announced it to the shepherds, but then the, the Magi in, probably in Babylon, Persia, saw the star and they came because he wasn't just a savior for Israel, but for the whole world. And so it, it's, it means sort of manifestation, but <clears throat> Antiochus IV took it a step farther, further, farther, in the coins that have been found from that day, say, Antiochus Epiphanes Theos. Theos meaning God, the Greek word for God. That He said he's the manifestation of God. Now, the Jews being good, I mean, probably Texans to some degree, 
they changed it to um, Antiochus Epiphanes, meaning the madman. It's like he called himself Epiphanes. They call him whatever I said a minute ago. It's, it's hard to keep it straight in your brain. Epiphanes. And so he takes over. And he says that he's going to rise, but royal majesty hasn't been given to him. His, his father, Antiochus III, by the way, but his oldest brother was Seleucus IV. And Seleucus had become king. And there in, in verse um, 20 is talking about like 13 through about 19 is talking about Antiochus III. He was known as Antiochus the Great and that he, he was strong and, and expanded the territory. When he died, his son, uh, Seleucus IV, took over and he says that <clears throat> then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. <clears throat> Seleucus IV was a taxer. I mean, he, he taxed everybody. But he says he shall be broken neither in anger nor in battle. His tax collector, who he set over, uh, you know, his, his lands, but the one in, um, one of them was a Jewish tax collector named uh, Hilodorus, who poisoned Seleucus IV. That's how he didn't die really. And you kind of wonder, well, he didn't die in anger. Maybe it was spite that he poisoned him. So he died. Seleucus IV's son, uh, Demetrius, was imprisoned in Rome. So Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, says he was able through flattery to get the other leaders there in, uh, in, in the Seleucid Empire to, to make him the king. And he becomes the king who is, is, is the same as the little horn that grew up out of that. Um, which chapter was, was that? Anybody remember? That should really be on the test. It was chapter, um, chapter 8 where Daniel saw the vision of the ram that goes and charges everywhere. Nothing can stop him. Then a goat rises up and the goat crushes the ram. The goat was Alexander the Great. That goat had one horn, but it broke off, and then four horns came up, and then out of one of those, so the four horns are the four parts of Alexander's um, empire after he died. One of those horns was broken off, and a little one rises up that becomes great. That is who then is the angel tells Daniel about in verse 21, Antiochus Epiphanes. <coughs> so, we shall start there next week, see how far we go. So if you read it, Daniel 11, I think you could outline in four parts, verses 1 through 4 that talk about the, the final part stage of the Persian Empire and Alexander the Great. Then you have verse 5 through 20, that deal with the, 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 the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire. And then verse 21 through 35 deal exclusively with uh, Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, and, and what he does. He's one of the 
you know, probably top three despots in the whole history of the of the world. I mean, the, the same, you know, on the on the line of of Pol Pot or Hitler or any of the the terrible dictators. But then in verse 36, it seems to change again, where these things from 36 on, they sound a little bit like Antiochus IV, but not, there are some, some differences. And so it's like, is he talking about somebody else, a future ruler worse than Antiochus Epiphanes? Maybe a future antichrist, and then he gets into the, the 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 final part of the vision there in chapter twelve. So it sounds like it in thirty six because it sounds like it's future because of it says and shall possess till the indignation be accomplished the wrath. Mm-hmm. I think I think probably you know you're get, you can find somebody that's going this is all about Antiochus but then others will say well verse 36 isn't Antiochus because there's a couple of things that are different one one meaning um, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers that Antiochus followed worshiped the gods of his fathers so it's like oh he's talking about somebody else well who is it a future antichrist, maybe a Rome. Some would say, even John Calvin said, well, it's a Roman dict, uh, emperor who he's talking about. But then when he gets into uh, chapter 2 and he says, or chapter 12, verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's like, well, that really hasn't happened. So it's got to be future. Okay, other observations. I just think that I just think that the more that I study the Bible, when I get dismayed about what's going on right now in our country, and I go back to the Bible, just think the Lord. <laughs> and then I reminded of when you know in the New Testament when it says in this world you will have trouble and I've told you these things in advance I think well he told you these things I'm, I'm like yeah but I didn't understand it it's like well <laughs> Normal, and because why we were 
it's not all about you. It's about how well you serve and what you're able to do for others. They weren't raised like that. So why are we surprised? I guess because we don't read the Well, but I think the Enlightenment period changed people in the, in the early 19th century, the, the Enlightenment, and that, that we search for this utopia and think things are going to get better. And some things did. Technology is, is, is great. You know, penicillin that, that came about in... Penicillin wasn't around when... At the beginning of World War II, even that it was like in the 40s, I think, when it when it became indoor plumbing, indoor plumbing is good. <laughs> we learned two weeks ago how great indoor heat and you know water and you know all those things. So some things have, but but that enlightenment is like, well, we can achieve all of this, and and the more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, come on, it's going to enlighten so much. I always question that. I'm like, I'd read that and I'd be like, well, I'm not that clever of a person, but if I wanted to die, I could get that done. You know? But it's, read it. That's what it says. So they're going to AI themselves and mix computer or whatever genetics or some sort of alligator genetics. And I even wonder now if all that Egyptian stuff that I used to think was just fantasy, that all their carvings with the alligator head on the human body, I'm wondering, is that real? <laughs> I mean, is that, is that really what they look like? They got fish god. The good thing is it's not a surprise to God and that he has a plan. It's like, let's pray and then we'll go. Father, we do thank you that you are the sovereign God and creator and that as we look around and see chaos, we know that your people will inherit the heaven and the earth that your kingdom will be established. All these kingdoms that constantly fight and the, and the conflict and the turmoil will one day all be destroyed, that Christ will return and set up his eternal kingdom. God, may we be ready for that, but may we also share the good news so that those we love, those we know, and those we just meet will also be ready for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.